So it is March 1st, which means it is our five-year anniversary. Very excited about that. It's actually five years to the day. March 1st, 2015 was our first ever public uh, gathering as a church. So it had been almost a year and a half process to get to that point. And some of you were in on that even before we officially launched. And, uh, and so but today is a five-year um, anniversary. So what that means is our church is now old enough to go to kindergarten in the fall. So that's cool, right? And we'll send, you, we'll send you off to school in the fall because you're five years old now. What we're going to do today to kind of celebrate is we're going to do sort of two things at once. We're going to both reflect and project. So a couple weeks ago in a different sermon, um, I mentioned about uh, honoring the past while working toward the future. That's what we're going to do today. We're going to kind of look back We're going to and look forward. So we're going to answer two questions today with our time together, and they both have the same answers, which is interesting, but it'll make sense. So we're going to ask these questions today. How did we get here? And how will we get there, which is maybe five years in the future, 10 years in the future. It doesn't matter how many years. It's the same keys that we're going to look at that got us here that will get us there. And I didn't plan it this way for our five-year anniversary, but it just happened to work out. There are five keys to how we got here and how we will uh, get to where God has us in the future. And they all start with letter P, so it's five keys or five Ps, however you want to look at it. Uh, I was being very pastoral this week by using alliteration with my main points, like good pastors tend to do. And uh, so we're going to get right into it. Five keys from, uh, that explain how we got here and how we'll get there. The first one is probably obvious on the surface, but the first way we got here and we're going to get there is through prayer. Again, duh, Stephen, we're a church. But here's the thing. Prayer is something that can get overlooked very quickly, and we'll talk about that in a second. Prayer is something that we can do not enough of, and sometimes I'm guilty of that just like anybody else, right? And we'll talk about in detail about how that works. So let me give you an example from Scripture. We'll do that for all five of these. One example from Scripture, and then we'll flesh out what that means for us and individually for our lives. The same principles apply to get you from where you are to where you want to be, okay? So uh, in the New Testament, in Mark chapter 9, the disciples have, the, have this issue come up where they have a man bring his son to them who is demon-possessed. And they explain all of the stuff he's going through, and the demon's like, it seems like they're trying to kill this kid. They're throwing him into a fire. They're trying to drown him like it's uncontrollable. So the father brings this boy to the disciples of Jesus and says, hey, can you do something about this? And they say, sure, we can. But they weren't able to do anything. They had no luck at all. And so then Jesus, I don't know if he was like off somewhere and came back, but it just kind of picks up here in Mark 9 where he now brings the boy to Jesus and he says, hey, I talked to your crew and they said they could handle this and they clearly couldn't handle this. So can you do anything about this? And Jesus says, why certainly? You know, he doesn't say it like that, but he says, yeah, sure I can. I, I can do pretty much anything because I'm God. He doesn't say that, but we know, we know that inside information, right? And so he, he basically just tells the demons to get out of this boy. And for a second there, things get really crazy, like crazier than they were the first time. And then all of a sudden it says the boy just fell down as if he were dead. And everybody that's watching this thought the boy was dead. They thought, well, yeah, you get the demons are out and so is everything else, you know, he's, he's a goner. And then it says Jesus just picks the boy up by his hand and he just gets up and he's perfectly fine and normal and healthy. 
So after this, the disciples and Jesus are sort of having this little powwow afterward, and they have some questions for Jesus. They have some questions for him. Here's their question, Mark chapter 9, verses 28 and 29. Afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? Jesus replied, this kind can be cast out only by prayer. Now, can you, first of all, can you imagine trying to cast out a demon, right? I can't imagine that. I don't, you know, I mean, I would, I guess I would do it if somebody asked me. I would try it. But here's the thing. Can you imagine trying to do that without prayer involved? Like, how else is that going to work? What's the alternative? Like, what's your secret formula here? But they apparently, according to Jesus, tried to just do whatever, like maybe yell loud enough or scream loud enough or whatever, and it, that's, it, there was no effective power working through them to make anything happen. And so Jesus then simply said it happens only through prayer. So here's what Jesus is telling us and what, what I got from this. I find that if we're going to get where we want to go, it's got to be done through prayer, And like I mentioned a second ago, we're probably guilty at times of trying to do too much on our own for people of faith. We're probably guilty a lot of times of trying. I know this is where I kind of fit in here, this struggle. I try to work off of maybe a formula that worked before or a method or a five-step plan that seems very effective. And so let's just try that. And we forget, maybe we should put a lot of prayer into that process. Maybe we should maybe ask God what he wants to do or what he is able to do through this process. So Jesus is saying here that prayer is required for difficult things. And the reason is because prayer makes the impossible possible. So Prayer has gotten us to where we are now as a church without a doubt. There's no way without prayer being essential to this process that we're going to even get started on this journey that's five plus years down the road. Even in deciding to start this thing, there was a lot of prayer, obviously, that you, as you can imagine, that goes into those decisions to uproot your family and quit your other jobs and move across the country and start this thing from scratch. There's a lot of prayer, hopefully, right, <laughs> that's going to go into a decision like that. And it did. Even determining, you know, what specific part of Kansas City we're going to plant our roots in. That was a, there was a, a lot of prayer and discussion with ourselves and also with some district leadership about, hey, there's a great need here. Pray about that. We're like, let's, let's go there. Let's go to the Parkville area. Even in getting into this building a year ago. So we've been in this building now for a year. So it's another kind of milestone for our church that we've been non-portable. Thank you, Jesus, for a year now. It's amazing. That came through prayer. Because here's the deal. When we were were on a plan, a two-year plan, to start looking. So the plan originally was by now we would hopefully be in a position to start looking for a location. Well, we've been in here for a year now, so God doesn't care about our timelines very much, does he? Uh, He's more concerned about what he wants to do and when he wants to do it. So that required prayer. God, are we really ready for this? God, we are not. I can answer that question for you. We are not ready for this. We're We're at least a year ahead of time. What are you doing? But he made the way where there seemed to be no way. So uh, prayer is required because prayer makes the impossible possible. 
So when I use a term like, this church is a miracle, can I just tell you that's not really an exaggeration? Because let me tell you, the recent statistics nationwide with church planting, which is what we, this, we are a church plant, we're five years in, the fail rate on a church plant is 85% to year five. So for every 100 churches that started on March 1st, 2015, there's us and about 14 more that are still operational. The other 85, statistically, have already shut down. They do not exist anymore. So when I say we've beaten the odds, that is not an exaggeration. When I say that this can only come through prayer, now that's not to say the other 85 churches didn't pray. That's not what we're saying. But we would be one of those without a doubt, without prayer being the determining factor of all that we are and all that we do. It only could happen in that way. So that's how we got here, but how do we get there? Really the same, same idea, right? Prayer, and how about even amping it up a little bit? Maybe we can accelerate some things and see God do some really cool things in different ways we ever thought possible. It's only going to come through prayer. So that's why, even though we're not doing it this month, that's why First Wednesdays are so important, because it gives us time to kind of slow down once a month, focus on praying with and for each other in, in sort of a kind of a slower, type, more, a more intimate type of setting. That's important. So it, it builds relationships within ourselves. It builds our faith with each other and with God that, hey, you know what? They prayed about that a couple months ago, and God came through, and we're able to share those stories. That's why that's so important is it only comes through prayer. We want to continue to pray for guidance, direction, wisdom, favor, and we want to only increase in this key moving forward. The, the key of prayer got us here, and it will get us there. The second key that got us here and will get us there is perspective. Perspective. Let me give you this example from the Old Testament. So in uh, 1 Chronicles 17, King David, who's the king of Israel, he's looking around and he's saying, hey, I have this huge, nice, amazing palace that I live in, and God's sort of still, his house is still basically a tent in the desert. He's like, I'm, I'm not seeing that that's really entirely fair to God on the end of, of this deal. He's kind of got the short end of the stick here. And so David has this amazing idea. Hey, I'm going to build God his own house. I'm going to build him a temple he can be worshipped in. It's going to be huge and amazing and state-of-the-art, and it's going to be great. But then God does something interesting here that we'll see he does it again later to somebody else. He says no. He says Hey, Dave, I appreciate what you're trying to do here. Appreciate the heart, but you're not the guy. This is not the time. We're not going to do that. So David's perspective, his response to this update from God saying no is everything. It's so important to what goes on afterward. Because he could have argued. He could have ignored God and built a temple anyway. He could have pouted and said, it's not fair, I've, done, I've expanded your kingdom so much, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to make this about me, even though I'd never say that. You know, Sometimes we do kind of the same thing uh, if we're not careful. And so, But here's what he does. Basically, the rest of chapter 17 is a praise song about God saying no to him. There's a couple reasons for that. First, he just has the right attitude, the right perspective. He's like, okay, God. If you're going to say no, it's a no. We're going to trust you in this decision. We're not going to fight you on it. We're not going to second guess your wisdom. We're just going to say, all right. The second thing, though, is 
one of the reasons that God gives in this chapter for David being not, not being the guy. He says, hey, your son Solomon, he's the guy. I'm preparing you and him. He's going to be the one to build the temple. And so David's response is, that's good news because the last king that came before me, his son was not accepted. He was cut off, and that's why I'm the king. So he praises God, hey, you're going to continue my line of the kingdom? This is great news. This is a great decision, God. Wonderful. That's amazing. So David's perspective was key in this decision. Perspective has been um, important in our process as well. And I mentioned this last week after our gathering. We had our, um, our yearly year-end review, and I kind of mentioned that. And I was kicking myself all the rest of the day, if I'm honest with you, about how I didn't feel like I communicated that very well. So I'm going to redeem myself right now and do what I wish I would have done a week ago by explaining how our perspective has changed over time and kind of where it is to get us from here to there. So our you know, our church started a little bit differently than we had envisioned and planned and prepared for. Uh, it started smaller and has grown slower than what we thought, right? But again, perspective is everything. So there have been days where I'm not like David. And I'm like, God, I'm not really sure about this. And I don't know if this is going to work. And this is not what we thought it was going to look like. So then I have to kind of shake out of that and be like, no, let's have proper perspective here. God's doing the work. This is Jesus's church. It's his plan. It's his deal. So I'm just along for the ride, right? I'm just, I'm just trying, we're just trying to follow what he's doing. So let's not focus on these things and how they're not like what we thought or what we hoped or what, whatever. Let's just focus on, hey, we are who we are. We are where we are. We're doing what we're doing and we're going to do it the best we can with what we've got where we are. Okay. So that's a good perspective that I, that we, we kind of are, are at. So that leads us then to, we, we've sort of, decided on sort of these two key words being how we're going to get from here to there, how we're going to utilize this sort of newer location, this space, uh, this neighborhood uh, as a proper perspective. The two words uh, that I just want to share quickly are uh, deep and focused. So that's our perspective from where we are right now. Deep first, we want to give time for relationships to grow deeper, to strengthen the body, Right? The family. That's why First Wednesdays are important to give that time. Uh, that's why our monthly breakfasts are going to be time uh, kind of in this setting. So it's great we can get out and go places and do that, but it's busier, it's louder, it's not as conducive for deepening relationships. So if we can do it here in, in, in our own space that we have, first of all, let's just use it. We've got it. Second of all, it gives us the time, space, and atmosphere to build those relationships, to deepen those relationships, those types of things, and then other, and then also deep through discipleship. So there's other methods that we have working on different types of groups, different types of methods to kind of deepen our faith as well, to strengthen our faith as well. We want to go deep uh, moving forward to get from here to there. The other word is focused. So we've had for the first three or four years sort of a wide sort of net, at least I have, as far as reach. Now, here's the deal. I want to reach as many people for Jesus as possible. Like, I, I want us to be effective in every pocket of, our, of the city that we live in to reach our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, our family members for Christ. So as a church, though, I want us to be focused on sort of this little pocket that we're in. 
Let's leverage our location. Let's leverage where we are to do what we can do to kind of hit this little region and saturate it with, with the gospel, with, with life change with people, you know, with turning this community around for, for good, for having positive effect on not just like we can have, cast a wide net, but if we can just saturate through a focused effort, I think that will pay big dividends moving forward um, to get us from here to there. So that's our perspective. That's our perspective. Let me just make this personal note as well for your life. Perspective in your life is key as well. Perspective in your faith journey is key as well. And here's what I mean by that. Many times we get so um, unfocused because we're looking at all these things that are happening to me or happening around me or happening in spite of me or they're getting this that I'm not and I feel you know, unappreciated or left out or I'm not blessed or God's upset or I'm having all these issues and struggles and worries and that causes insecurity and fear. So we, get, we can get lost, but if our perspective is not what is happening to me, but how God can use the things that are happening to me and around me to grow me. That, that's a better perspective. Not just, oh, this is not fair, this is not good, this is really negative, but how can I channel that energy into making the most of what I've been given? How can I turn, instead of looking at the thing that's happened or the person that's hurt me or the issue that's not right or the circumstance that's overwhelming me, how can I then turn that in on itself to try to gain something positive from that? Perspective is key. What might God want to use to shape us that's only going to happen through proper perspective? Here's the third uh, key to getting us where we are and also getting us to where we want to go, and that is partnership. The third key to get us here has been partnership. The key to get us where we want to go is partnership. Famous story from the Old Testament again, Exodus 17. Israel is at war with the people called the Amalekites, and they butt heads quite often, and so they're here in this battle. And so Moses, it doesn't really give any direction that he heard to do this or that he knew it was going to work, but it just says he went up kind of on this high place to overlook the battle, and he's got his staff with him, you know, the one that turned into a snake in Egypt, that, that staff, pretty cool. So he's got it with him. He goes up to this high place, and it says he lifts up the staff. He lifts up his hands high above his head during this battle. And the scripture records that as long as his hands were high up in the air, Israel was winning the battle. But after a while, because Moses is in his 80s at this point, like he's an old dude. I'm not trying to be offensive here. I'm just saying, if I try to lift my hands during a battle, I'm going to get worn out too, all right? So he's lifted, but his hands get tired. His hands get lower from being weak. Israel's starting to lose the battle. So he has two guys up there with him. One's his brother Aaron. One's another guy named Hur, not Ben-Hur. Maybe it is Ben-Hur. I don't know. Like my favorite movie of all time, by the way, if you're interested in me being that nerdy, I am. Anyway, uh, so Aaron and her are there with him, and they kind of notice the trend. Like they know hands up, good, hands low, bad. So what do they do? They each basically pick an elbow and just lift his arms up. He just can't do it. He's weak. He's tired. This is a long battle. So they literally lift up his arms until Israel wins the battle. Moses needed partnership to make this happen. He couldn't do it on his own. He needed that partnership to make it to win the battle. Someone also like the Apostle Paul, he didn't go solo. 
He had ministry partners every trip he took. He knew he needed people around him. He needed this partnership to make this thing work. So for a while, he had a guy named Barnabas that traveled with him early on in his ministry. And then he traveled with Silas for a while. And then we read people like Luke he had with him uh, who helped to write down sort of a lot of what they did. He had people around him all the time. He even lists in a lot of his letters other ministry partners that aren't as well known, but to him were essential to the mission. He knew he needed that partnership to make it possible. And our church is no different. To get here, we couldn't just do it on our own. So uh, even our church, the church multiplication network that helped to get our our fund started to to raise the money we needed to get started, we owe them a great deal of gratitude. Our our, uh, district here in the North Northern Missouri district, they've been a huge uh, partner with us in getting the work done that we've been able to do. Even a couple churches here in this in this area, so Tiffany Fellowship Church has been a huge partner with us uh, in letting us store uh, equipment at their location. Uh, and what's cool is, here's what's really neat with that. So they've been our partner in that way for a long time. I've been involved there, you know, taking our kids there on a lot of Wednesday nights for like five years. So I, you know, know a lot of people know the staff there. So it's a cool partnership in that way. So they've been able to help us out. So now they're getting ready to do like a big overhaul in their facilities. So we're going to get to help them with some of our equipment that's in storage while they're transitioning and like curtaining stuff off. Like we got a ton of curtains in a trailer we're not using. You can use, like, yeah, let's do that. Let's set up a time to make it happen. So it's neat how that sort of comes full circle, how the partnership's not always one-sided, which is an important part of this, that there's two sides to that story. Even recently, you know, with our lobby remodel, that's coming from Northland Cathedral. They're helping with the crew. They're, they're furnishing all of the equipment, all of the supplies. So they're a huge partner. Even now, even five years in, we still need partners. You see how that works? We can't just isolate ourselves and think, well, we can cover it, we can do it. No, it, strength in numbers is a real thing. Here's the one uh, partner I haven't mentioned, and that's all of you guys, right? Everybody in here is a partner. You're part of this. You show up, you volunteer, you give, you serve, you pray, you, you love each other, you love your neighbors, you love the community, right? It takes all of us to pull this thing off. It can't just be, you know, me and Kim just doing all, like, it, that does not work. And so it takes all of us to make this thing happen. That's how we've gotten here. And how we get there is the same way. And so we're, we're looking to build even more relationships in our community to affect change on a greater scale. We're looking to partner even with, you know, civic organizations and in our uh, community, um, even with the Chamber of Commerce, people like that, to build those relationships, uh, make those partnerships, to have an even wider uh, area that we can be effective and make even more of a difference. Uh, let me read one scripture about this before we move on. That's this, Ecclesiastes 4.12. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. So it's not just for our church, but you and your life, you need those partnerships in your life to keep you strong, to have that support system to make what you do more effective, to make what you do more meaningful, to make it more enriching. So quickly, let me just ask these questions for you to consider about partnerships in your life. Really quickly, three questions. First, consider, we're going to use the, anal- or the story from Exodus 17. So consider this question. First, 
Who has lifted up your arms? Think for a second about those people who have been essential to getting you to where you are right now. So here's what we want to do. As you think about those people, the key with that is to honor them. Honor those people that have gotten you to where you are. Like, actually thank them for that. Maybe this is a good time. You've maybe lost touch. Maybe you've thought about the impact somebody's made on you. Let them know. Don't just make them assume that they've been important to you. Let them them know that. That's a huge key. Speak highly of them um, as you honor those people that have lifted up your arms. The second question is, then, who will lift up your arms? As you want to get from here to there, where you are to where you want to be, who's going to be the people to help you do that? Who's going to be the ones to lift up your arms? So the response to that question is, I would say, pray for them. Because here's the thing, maybe you're thinking, I don't know who's going to lift up my arms. So you should then pray that God would lead you to those people to help you make those connections, to help you make those partnerships. Pray for them. I don't even know who I'm praying for, God, but I need to get from here to there. I can't do it by myself, and I feel disconnected. God, would you help lead people to me, help lead me, help lead me to others that we can partner with each other to get this thing done from here to there? And if you do have those people in your life that are working to get you there, pray for them. Continued strength and stamina because it's hard work lifting up people's arms, right? So they they need strength just like you need it. So we want to, again, make this a reciprocal partnership with others. And then the third question that connects to that is, whose arms will you lift up? Whose arms will you lift up? And the simple uh, encouragement here is start lifting. Do the heavy lifting. Like, don't wait for, for, to make this five-year plan with them. How, no, just start encouraging them now. Just start helping them now. Just start praying for them now. Just start maybe, you know, send them a text once in a while. Hey, thinking about you, if I need anything, like, and mean it, you know, I can help you. If you know they have something coming up or going on, be there for them. Don't wait for them to just, hey, I have this great need. Like, if you know there's a need, Find a way to to meet that need. Let's start lifting each other up and have these partnerships. Even if relationships are a struggle for you, like I'm not a people person or I'm bad at relationships or I have a bad track record of relationships, that's okay. You got to take the risk anyway. You got to have partnerships to get you from where you are to where you want to be. The fourth key then from how how we got here and how we'll get there, the fourth P is position. There's an interesting story that I want to just read a few verses here in Acts 16, and it's similar to David's story when he's going to build the temple. God says no. This is Paul in the New Testament in Acts 16. Very interesting account here. Here's what it says. And don't get distracted by all the names and places, okay? We're not going to, don't get distracted. We're just going to focus on the key here. So next, Paul and Silas, again, he's got a partner here. They traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia. Because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Then, so God said no, they're going where he says to go. Then coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north for the province of Bithynia. But again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went on through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. 
That night, Paul had a vision. So here's the why. Why is God saying no? Why are there roadblocks? Why are the doors closing? Here's why. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave from Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. So Paul feels led by the Holy Spirit to go this direction until, he sa- until the Holy Spirit says, no. You know, he like smacks that out of his hand, no. And then they go, okay, well, let's go this way. This is where we, no. And then they're like, okay, okay, we've only got one. There's like door number one, door number two. I guess it's door number three, God. We're going to go this direction. So they, God redirects them over and over and over. Why? Well, as you read, what follows after that, it's two very key things for the future ministry of Paul. So he ends up going to Philippi, this city, and what happens there over the course of just the next couple of weeks, really, a couple of months, um, is the seeds that start a church there. So he wasn't going to go there. He's going to go somewhere else. But God's like, no, 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 they need this here now. Like this, is, you're, I'm positioning you for this reason. So they go there and the seeds are planted there that eventually become the church in Philippi. One of the first people he meets here, we talked about her a few weeks ago, is this woman named Lydia. She is a wealthy uh, seller of fabrics in the area. And she, they, they meet here by this riverbank and Paul preaches to her and these other women. They accept Christ. They become followers of Jesus. And then when we read later, Paul mentions her. It seems very likely that she was a huge person to fund Paul's ministry. So Paul's like, cool, we planned a church and she's going to fund the ministry. Double bonus here. So God had to say, no, don't go there, don't go there, let's go here. So position is so important. Can I encourage you with this, that God has positioned you on purpose? God has positioned you on purpose. So if you're living according to the first three Ps, prayer, perspective, partnership, that means God probably has you right where he needs you to be. Now, that doesn't mean that you are exactly where you want to be, okay? Like, that's not where Paul wanted to go. But it does mean that God probably then has you where he needs you to be, okay? And that's not always easy to hear. It's not always easy to live with because it's like, I don't like where I am. It comes back to perspective a little bit. These are connected quite a bit. If I can see how God can use me here, despite I don't want to be here, like I'd rather not be at this job right now, right? I'd rather not be in this situation right now. I'd rather not be facing this difficulty right now. I'd rather be somewhere, anywhere but where I am, okay? So then what we do is we we lack purpose because we're focused on, on what everything that's happening that we don't want, that we don't like, and it's like, nope, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, positioned on purpose. If we can get that in our hearts, in our minds, in our spirits, it will just probably take away a lot of the stress about the exterior things we can't control anyway, and we can focus on what I can control where I am. God has positioned you on purpose. Where you work, where you live, what you do, your circle of influence, it's on purpose. And if it's not, let's focus in and find the purpose. It'll make it make us more effective. It's, so that's how we got here as a church, is God, God positioned us in Parkville for a reason. So all along, we've been close to the area. Now that we're here, we're here for a reason. 
So that's how we got here, and it's the same way that we're going to move forward, is discovering what's the purpose in our position. What is it that God has us in this little area for? What, what is the main few reasons or ways that we can be most effective? Not how this area would do it, not how that church would do it, but what is God calling us to do where we are? We want to lean into our position and our purpose. And the last thing, quickly as we close, the last key that got us here that will get us there is perseverance. Now, this one's quick, right? How did we get here? We didn't quit, okay? It's just simple enough, okay? And there were times, even early on, where it would have been so easy to do that, okay? There have been times along the way where it's just like, mm, yeah, maybe this is our exit here. Like, maybe we're a three-year church plant, and we're going to learn from that. Like, but it wasn't, right? It's perseverance. So we, we push through the, the lean times. We push through negative experiences. We push through difficulty. We don't quit. It's how we got here. And so, guess what? How will we get there? By not giving up, okay? It's the same exact principle. Perseverance is key. Not quitting is key. It goes back to Paul writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy near the end of his life. He said, hey, I've finished the race, and I've kept the faith, and I've fought the good fight. So Paul's not going to be able to say that if he hasn't really come through. So I, I, want, you, I want us as a church to move without regret. Leave it all out on the field. I want you to live your life that way. I don't want to look back and think, well, I should have done this and I could have done more. And We don't want to live that way. We want to just persevere. I quit too soon. That, that happens a lot probably. We may not realize what's just beyond. If we can just get to the top of this hill and we can see the view and whoa, okay, I get it now. Too often I fear we quit way too soon. We give, way, we give in way too easy. We throw in the towel when it's just like, this is like early, the early stages here. There's more to get to. We're not going to get there if we quit. It's the same for our church and for your life, for our lives. We've got to push through fear, discouragement, difficulty, and understand that character grows through perseverance, okay? Faith grows through perseverance. If no faith is required for your life, you might want to like do something that's worth doing to maybe have to stretch yourself a little bit. Like if we're comfortable for too long in our situation, that may mean we need to push a little bit harder, a little bit faster to persevere. So again, don't quit. The fight is worth it. Yeah, say it, girl. The struggle is real. She's, she's amen to me, all right? So that's cool. She's probably saying, Stephen, shut up. And I'm almost done. We're done, okay? So here's the thing. How, how we got here, I'm so thankful to God to get us to this point. I'm so, I'm so encouraged by what God's been able to do uh, in and through this church so far. And as we look forward to the next five years, the next 50 years, I'm going to be an old man by then. So anyway, I'm going to need somebody to hold up my arms while I'm preaching in 50 years, okay? Uh, to get us there, man, I'm, I'm excited. I'm optimistic that we have the keys here, we have the tools in place, we have the people ready and, and just willing to get us to that next level, ready to impact more people, ready to do more good, ready to have a bigger, deeper, more profound impact in the years to come. I'm thankful for where we've been, and I'm excited for where God has us going in the future. Amen.